0: Welcome to used car news podcast used car news is your top source for fast and reliable news that car dealers can rely on for this evolving industry. Here are this month's top stories. The buy here pay here academy offers a game plan for dealers. The retail auto industry continues to face scrutiny from both the federal and state levels. And title max has been penalized for violations against consumers financial rights. But first, we sit down with Dale Pollack, founder of V-Auto and executive VP of Cox Automotive.
1: Hello, this is Jeffrey Bellante, managing editor of Used Car News, and this is the Used Car News podcast. Uh, this month, we've got a great one. Um, we're going to be speaking with Dale Pollack, founder of V-Auto, which if you've been in the used car industry or wholesale industry, you know V-Auto, and executive vice president of Cox Automotive. Um Dale has got a great resume. Um, he is the son of an honor dealer, and and uh, he's a graduate at the top of his class at DePaul University's Law School, best-selling author with a half dozen books. Uh, also four-time winner of the American Jurisprudence Award, the 2010 Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award and a member of the Chicago Area Entrepreneurship Hall of Fame. But a lot of us might know him from last year, the National Independent Automobile Dealers Association named him into the ring of honor, which is a very small group, a very prestigious group. And in giving him that award, uh, NIDA said that Dale is a pioneer of management metrics and technology in the auto retail industry who changed the way dealers look at inventory. He's helped countless dealers over the years with his investment minded approach to use vehicle management And has had a monumental monumental impact on our industry. Um, And of course, going back, you did found V Auto in 2005, really a a, uh, huge sea change in the whole idea of vehicle inventory management. So Dale, welcome. And I'd like to kick off, if I could, just you giving us a little bit about your background, how you got into the auto industry in general, and then move into the, the, the V-Auto, the, the, the big deal that was V-Auto. Sure. Thanks,
2: Jeff, and, and good to be with you. Yes. So I got into the automobile business by coming to the attention of senior management at a very, very early age because my father was an automobile dealer. So, <laughs> naturally, <laughs> so, so naturally, I grew up in and around the dealership. Uh, when I was very young around the Dyer Auto Auction, uh, I remember in the early days, he was an independent used car dealer, ultimately became a uh, new car franchise dealer in Gary, Indiana, a Buick dealer. And uh, through the years in Indiana, he added VW, uh, Porsche, Audi, Fiat, and uh, ultimately American Motors, Jeep Eagle. And I, I grew up around that business. So I, I have it in my blood. Um, when I uh, finished law school, I never intended to practice law. I wanted to be in the automobile business, but wow. I wanted to get a degree. And, and I told my father that I uh, wanted to be in the business, but I didn't want to uh, necessarily carry on his legacy at his uh, dealership group in Indiana. Um, I wanted to have an opportunity to uh, make a mark on my own. And I didn't want to do it in Gary, Indiana, for sure. So he and I, mostly he, he and I, mostly he. Uh, we purchased a Cadillac dealership in Elmhurst, Illinois. Uh, we ultimately added GMC truck and spent 13 years uh, in that dealership. And in the late 1990s, I really got bit by the technology bug, and I got involved with a very small startup company out of Austin, Texas, called Digital Motorworks we extracted data from dealer management systems and served it up to the new burgeoning internet website community including cars.com and uh, ultimately all the oems and i really became enamored with the with the technology business so much so that i convinced my father that we should tell, sell the dealership and i would be full-time uh, in the technology business with digital motorworks which i was until we sold to adp which is now cdk Uh one of the conditions of the deal was one of the conditions of the deal jeff was that i had to stay along with a few other key employees for three years under the new ownership of adp which i was happy to do however after a year they fired me and uh i uh I, i basically went home and i had a vision in the early 2000s that one day one day I had this vision that uh, people in the automobile business would appraise vehicles on a cell phone. And I created my initial solution, which was called Empower Auto, which gave the industry for the first time in the early 2000s the ability to appraise a vehicle on a cell phone, which at that time was not a smartphone. Holy cow. You entered a VIN number. Yeah. You entered a VIN number. You had to, If you recall, the uh, number one or number two keypad is ABC, DCF, and and it was a nightmare. But I, but I created that solution and uh, called it Empower Auto. Had a very difficult time convincing anyone that they should appraise a a car on their cell phone, and ultimately uh, saw the opportunity with the burgeoning internet and car sales. And I realized that dealers would have to price vehicles competitively if they were gonna sell cars. And I saw the opportunity to create the industry's first pricing tool. And uh, I relaunched my Empower Auto Company into V Auto. And that uh, that took off after a period of time and had the opportunity in 2010 to sell it to Auto Trader, the company owned by Cox Automotive. And I've been there ever since, and it's been an extremely rewarding experience. Uh, working with Cox, uh, they're a great company, it's a great family. Yeah. And uh, they've given me a lot of uh, independence and a lot of ability to exercise creativity in terms of creating new solutions, which uh, obviously include um, the auto with the company they bought, but we also created a new car product called conquest, a used car wholesale product called Stockwave, Yeah, Uh, another wholesale acquisition product called upside and most recently
1: profit time. So it's, it's been really a great journey. Holy cow. What is it about you, Dale, that you, okay, you started out as with the PhD, they say, Papa had a dealership. Then you go to law school, even though you said you didn't want to be a lawyer and then you go to tech. What is that? Is this about just creativity or the way your mind works or what was that, 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 that path that brought you to tech?
2: Well, I mean, you could say it might be somewhat of a short attention span, but, you know, I, I just, I, I, I think that probably being a retail automobile dealer was not my natural calling.
1: Gotcha. Um, I
2: think to be a good car dealer, I think to be a good car dealer, you have to uh, have certain skills and, and temperament, which um, uh, I, 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 looking back, I realized today I really didn't possess it. Nobody could have convinced me of it back in those days that I wasn't cut out to be a car dealer, but you gotta be, uh, you gotta be thick skinned, you gotta have a lot of patience. Yes. And uh, those are not two of my better skills. So I, I think I was probably never really cut out to be a car dealer. And uh, the, the whole technology world really, really bit me. And uh, it was exciting to me and, and I'm just generally a curious person. Yes, and uh, it it just the the technology side of it came to me naturally. And then, you know, having the retail automotive experience, which I'd had for so many years, I saw the opportunity of the intersection of what uh, technology could do for the automobile business.
1: Yeah, that's that's the key. I think I think another guy with that technology, but not the the dealership background, maybe would have come up with this. So for V-Auto, everybody knows it. What was it about ViAuto that you saw that made it special, made it different than the way dealers normally bought and sold cars?
2: Well, it was it was the arrival of the internet, and and really, I uh, I, I, I recognized that uh, in order to get traffic, dealers were going to need to have a presence uh, on the internet, and just being on the internet wasn't enough. They had to uh, merchandise themselves properly and and obviously a key component to merchandising is is, is pricing properly. but yeah. th-
1: that
2: that was that was the problem that that I foresaw, and that is that dealers really didn't have any tool by which they could um, analyze the market for a particular vehicle and price theirs in in a manner that would be attractive. What made the auto the great company that it was, Back in those days, is really a confluence of three things. First and foremost, a strategy. Um, you know, software is never the answer to sustainable performance improvement in a business. Mm-hmm. It's it's a strategy, a proper strategy that's well executed. So it's a strategy, it's people, it's process. And what I envisioned in those early days is that while the uh, automobile business was very focused on maximizing average gross profit. I recognized that total gross profit was really the end game, and that dealers could achieve more total gross profit if they were willing to take a little less on a per car basis and get more volume. So I created what we now know today as the velocity method of management. So it started with a different uh, strategy of, of used car management. And then it was supplemented by some really outstanding software. And then it was also supported by um, performance management. I I think it's fair to say that we introduced to the industry the first concept of performance management, which is really drawn from my dealer days when I realized how many things we had bought from vendors that we never really used. So I started the company with with a philosophy that Uh, Even if I had great software uh, that was purpose built to drive a proper strategy, I started with the assumption that nobody would use it unless we helped them see the benefit of using it. So we created uh, the, the industry's first performance management team, and it's a confluence of the strategy, the software, and the performance management that I think really propelled the company to its great heights
1: yeah i like the idea and i you know certified northwood university does the certified master uh, program and not uh, dealer program at uh nida and at, some of those dealers who've been in the business you know i think intuitively knew that it's turn. you know i mean it's the idea of turning and but the idea of putting it together with the idea that it's not necessarily the most money it is it is turn is interesting to me and how did you what was the philosophy about say okay this car may be a great car and it may sell, but this car, and this dealership may not sell the same as a car, the same car in a dealership 100 miles away.
2: Well, it, it really just started out with with uh, a very close friend of mine who was a bond trader mm-hmm. and talking with him one day, he said to me, he says, you know, Dale, there's really no such thing as a bad bond. There's only a bad price for a bond. And I thought about that and I thought to myself, you know, that's really true with cars, too. There's no such thing as a bad car. There's only a bad price for a car. Now, what is a good or bad price for a car might vary and probably does vary from market to market. And maybe even to a certain extent, we know now uh, might vary a bit from dealership to dealership. But but essentially uh, price while it's not the only driver of of a vehicle's sales success, Mm -hmm. it is certainly one of the key core components of it. So so it really came down to recognizing that there's no such thing as a bad car, only a bad price for a car.
1: Yeah, that's excellent. That's really good. And um, for you, uh, you mentioned the confluence that brought these things together. Did dealers how long did it take dealers to understand that? Because so many times we see, especially independents, they they go by gut or feel. And sometimes that gut or feeling is right. But how did you get them to say that your gut could be wrong and that, that your philosophy could be wrong? Um, your gut could be telling you something wrong in this thing and this is what's right. It was really a, a, a very, very slow
2: adoption curve. I mean, to some people from a distance, it might seem like the auto came out of nowhere. But in in reality, it was a long, hard slog. When I first started out in the early 2000s talking to dealers about the need to price their vehicles uh, competitively because of the internet, uh, for years, literally for years, dealers told me they didn't need it because not all their customers uh, use the internet. And, and then when they finally started to come around to the fact that maybe this internet thing really was gonna catch on, uh, they, they still resisted pricing their car right because they were locked into the sort of old mentality of uh, trying to convince people that their car was worth more than it was. And, and I suppose probably the, the real breakthrough uh, moment, perhaps was in 2006 when I was extremely frustrated that that very few people would see the value in my pricing software. And I had everything I owned invested in in that software. And I was essentially going broke and out of frustration. And it truly was driven from frustration where I felt like I wasn't understood in the industry. I decided to uh, write a book and I was advised not to do it by many people because they felt that it would take away from me being in the market trying to sell the software. And uh, I went ahead anyhow, I I wrote the book and that was my first book I published in 2006 called Velocity from the Frontline to the Bottom Line. And that book went viral. And uh, as that book went viral, then for the very first time, uh, dealers started to call me instead of me trying to get an appointment with them, they started to to contact me, but I I think what was going on in the market at that moment in 2006 was really what made the book go viral. And that was that uh, new car production had really uh, gone wild. There was just way too many used cars. The manufacturers were discounting them. It was the introduction in that era of of 0% financing and employee, uh, employee incentives or employee purchase programs. Available with everybody, and essentially, it got to a point where there was no money in the new car business. So, for the very first time, probably in decades, uh, dealers turned their attention to used cars. And when they turned their attention to used cars around 2006, 2007, they really didn't know how to be successful in the context of the new internet uh, shopping era. So, so my book really spoke to that. My first book spoke to that and specifically to the issue of pricing. So again, it it was timing, it was luck, and to a certain extent, just positioning myself in the right place at the right time.
1: Boy, that is great. And all the great business stories are kind of like that, it seems, you know, so I I think maybe it's not luck because all those great business stories always say that it's luck, but it's not, I don't think. But you're right, timing and and the whole idea of uh, uh, the right time or right place does help. Um, and then for the other thing regarding uh, cars, I always hear that dealers say the money is made when you buy the car, not when you sell the car. And, and not every dealer understands that. And then the other th- idea of like the guy who's got a hundred cars on his lot, but he probably only needs to carry 25. Is that part of that veloc- velocity or V-auto uh, thinking? Clearly. I, I, the, the, the first uh, point you referenced about,
2: making money when you buy the car was very much core to the, um, to the initial product that I launched that I referred to called Empower Auto. Okay. When, when, I, when I talked about that initial software that I created when I envisioned people would be uh, appraising vehicles on their, on their cell phone, what that initial solution Empower Auto actually did in addition to giving them ability to get a value of a vehicle over their phone, I also scored, put a score on their appraisal decision, indicating whether it was a, a good acquisition or bad acquisition, based on what they wanted to pay for the vehicle relative to its book value. So, core to the initial Empower Auto software was the recognition that you very much make your money when you buy the car. Now, the second point you reference about right-sizing your inventory is is really only um, uh, a, a point that I've come to in my later years, because what's happened in the car business over the over the past two decades is the rate at which a vehicle loses its net profit potential has accelerated. You know, the, uh, put another way, the clock has always been the enemy of profitability on a used car, yes. but but in recent decade, the the clock runs much faster than it used to because many more dealers have pricing tools and they're ever more inclined to make more price increases more frequent price increases and larger price increases almost always in the downward direction so the rate at which a vehicle and in inventory loses its net profit potential has has greatly accelerated and and for that reason a vehicle really doesn't have a shelf life a viable net profit shelf life as it used to for about 60 days. Today, the average vehicle in a dealer's inventory runs out of net profit potential somewhere around 30 days. You you could sort of use the analogy of a piece of fruit that maybe Ah. would would be good for 60 days, now is really uh, perished after 30 days. So once you recognize that fact, then you recognize the next fact and that is that if you want to make more money, or avoid losing money, you have to reduce or eliminate the number of vehicles that you sell from stock that have been there over 30 days. And the only way you're gonna do that is not to stock more vehicles than you sell in a rolling 30-day period. So that that revelation or that insight to success in the car business, not stocking more cars than you sell in a rolling 30-day period has really been uh, an outgrowth of of the recent decade in which vehicles depreciate much faster than they used to. That is,
1: that is great. I love that illustration of the fruit. That really, boy, that's a great illustration because it's hard to understand as a dealer when you buy these cars, you're gonna love them, you gotta invest it, you don't wanna lose money. But the idea that, that at some point, the only question is how much money you're gonna lose. And, uh, and I always hear guys who are on the remarketing side or the auction side, hammering dealers and say you got to turn you got to get, you got to let go of it and um and the and the and connected to all that i'm listening to you talk about things that were a struggle for you to get in the market and other ubiquitous you've got everybody thinks like that the green or the red and you know sell the car now sell the car later so that's just got to make you feel good that this v auto did have a huge impact
2: Right, and and the the key there is is when when you're on the right side of logic, even <laughs> though it might be slow to, to to be uptake, you know, on the uptake. When you're out on the right side of logic, it it, it will never fail. So mm-hmm. so just sort of understanding the, the fundamentals properly, and and building software uh, that's purpose built to drive those types of behaviors, it it is going to win. Uh, it it may not, you know, be adopted as quickly as a creator might like it to. But at the end of the day, you know, rationality
1: prevails. Yes. Do you know what's funny? I think about like analytics, everybody in sports hates analytics, but in sports, it's a little different think Analytics works to a certain extent because you still got, there's still people and things that could break down where your system with this is a little bit different and the market is a little bit more reliable than, you know, a guy throwing a pass or catching a pass, so that's really interesting. Now, what I love is. That right, and, cars- and, but let me let, let me just say that that
2: the market doesn't work every time on every car as you right. think it should, but on average, on average, it works. You know, it, w- it works a hundred percent reliably, but not necessarily on every vehicle every day. But on average, you know,
1: of course. Yeah, now, in our we had an earlier conversation, and this is really what I think is says a lot about you. Um, at this point, V Auto is just a success; it's changed the market, and there became a point where you, I don't want to say V Auto run its course, but you saw that there had to be a different evolution. Um, can you tell me about that? Thank you. I mean, this is this is
2: my proudest accomplishment because we all know. Of many once great companies that are no longer around or a shred of what they once were. Kodak, Blockbuster, Border yeah. Books. And, yes. and these were these were companies, these were very successful companies, but for one reason or another, they failed to adapt to a changing environment. And by mid-2017, I began to realize that the velocity method of management and the software we created to support that strategy was no longer working in the interest of dealers or the industry. And that's not to say that it was wrong. It wasn't wrong. It right. helped many dealers become very successful, but you know, times change and the environment changes. So I, I came to realize that uh, continuing to prophesize the velocity method of management and push the V auto provision software was no longer in the best interest of dealers, and 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 I was able to uh, explain that to the leaders of Cox Automotive, and said to them that either we need to find another way forward, a better way forward for dealers, or we were going to have to really suffer a, a very significant decline in our in our V Auto success business or business success. And, and in doing so, would not be servicing uh, the dealers. So,
1: they okay, gave hold me on. The one sec, one sec, Dale. Service. One sec, Dale. I don't, want, I don't want to go forward yet. Just one second on that. What was it that you said was a sign to you that, that going forward was not the right way, VL as it was? Was there a significant. Well, I began to, what I began
2: to recognize is that there is a race to the bottom. And nobody was able to make any gross profit, and that was the condition, or net profit, for that matter. And that was the condition of the industry in those years leading up to the pandemic. Right. So you know, along along the way, Jeff, dealers used to say to me, "You know, Dale, if everybody used your philosophy and your software, would it ever get to a point where nobody would be able to make any money?" And I used to say, "No, I, I don't think that will happen." What happened? It's interesting what happened. Um, so. I think it's fair to say by 2006, by 2006, most every dealer came to recognize, um, I'm sorry, excuse me, by by the spring of 2016, by the spring of 2016, three things uh, were in place. Number one, most every dealer came to recognize by that time that the internet, the used car business was the internet and the internet drove traffic. (laughs) <laughs> number two, it's fair to say that by 2016, most every dealer had a pricing tool. Mm-hmm. But, but here's what really lit the match for the race to the bottom. You went back to automotive news and you looked at the most written about story in the years leading up to 2016, specifically 2014-15. The number one written about story was the rise of short-term leasing, showroom mm-hmm. leasing short-term mm-hmm. showroom leasing. And, and with the rise of short-term showroom leasing, you could have a line of sight to when the first tsunami wave of lease returns was going to hit the dealer and wholesale shores. And guess yeah. when that was? It was in the spring of 2016. So in the spring of 2016, the first tsunami wave of lease returns started to hit wholesale auctions and dealers lots. And and what do you think dealers do when their lots swelled with a lot of inventory, they had a pricing tool, and they weren't afraid to use it? Well, what we could see happening in our database starting in 2016, is we could see that the number of daily price adjustments Mm -hmm. suddenly picked up, the amount of the price adjustments almost always in the downward direction grew steadily. And that's what really tipped off the the race to the bottom. And then every, you know, every month thereafter, we kept seeing new waves of lease returns. So, so dealers were really flooded with late model, high dollar used cars, and they were desperate to get rid of them. And the race to the bottom really took off. So gotcha. that, that's what made me realize by 2017 that our philosophy of velocity management and the pricing tool that we're selling was really no longer doing them the
1: service how hard and then we're gonna get right back where you were with, with going to cox but how hard was that as a person this is your baby and you knew it was something you you try to convince people to be successful It was hard to get over the hump become successful now you're at the point where you see maybe it's run its course is that hard to give that up and to, and to go to something new or is that just the nature of entrepreneurship that you're gonna you're gonna do that well, it's really hard
2: to give it up because, <laughs> like you say, it is your baby. I, I, I built my reputation on it. Personally, I built a company on it, and and there was a lot of a uh, lot of revenue attached to selling and supporting that For software. Sure. But you see, this this is why most leg why most big legacy successful companies are unable to make uh, the, the transition because if you can make the transition, which we are uh, it, there's a lot of disruption. Yes. There's a lot of people saying, Hey, wait, wait a minute. You told us to do it this way. Now you're telling us to do it that way. Are you doing it just to sell us something new? I mean, also, I mean, it's it's very disruptive. It's very hard. And I'm very, very proud of Cox automotive because at that point in time, I was no longer just a, a independent entrepreneur. I was still an entrepreneur, but i was inside of a very large structured uh, company that that did not necessarily have to see it as i was seeing it for sure fact, yeah, they had definitely. every incentive perhaps not to but but much credit to, to cox automotive you know they're they're a 120 plus year old family run company and, and their head is truly in the right place and when i explained to them why it was the case that we're no longer serving the interest of the dealers and i showed them that we actually found a better way forward they said we have your back let's go out and do the right thing for the industry knowing that it would be disruptive and it has been disruptive." But it's, so what is it's, the change really what is the change
1: yeah
2: well you see what we had by 2017 2018 is, is we had a couple things going for us that allowed us to find a better way forward. Number one, we had a database yeah. of several million used car transactions from doing business with dealers over the previous decade. And we also had the benefit then, as we do today, of some really brilliant people. Mm-hmm. And and what we began to, to understand through a lot of data uh, a- analysis and discovery is that we could predict we could predict the return on investment of a vehicle based on its profile before it actually sells while sitting in the inventory.
1: Holy and and we
2: could predict its ROI outcome better than 90% of the time. And, and that was really the big breakthrough because once you can identify the characteristics of a vehicle that actually predict or reflect its future ROI potential, then what you can do is you can work with that vehicle On a varied basis, hence the name of our new strategy, which is variable management. And the reason we call it variable management is now instead of taking a one size fits all approach to every vehicle, which essentially is what Velocity did, Velocity, if you really boil it down, said price every vehicle as competitively as you can, as fast as you can, the more turn the better, as if every vehicle is the same. But what we now understand are the unique characteristics of each vehicle, which actually have a large predictive um, aspect to how they're going to perform from a return on investment standpoint. And once we can understand those individual strengths and weaknesses, we can adjust our pricing approach such that that vehicle can optimize its full return. And the analogy that I would give you to help understand this concept, Jeff, Mm is parenting, is parenting. You know, if you're a good parent, does that mean you give your kids all the same things or treat them all the same? No. The concept of being a good parent is that you have the ability to recognize in each child their individual strengths and weaknesses and hopefully have the ability to give each child that which they need to realize their full potential. Well, now through data and data discovery, what we can now understand is that every vehicle on our lot holds a different return on investment potential. And and therefore, what we're going to do with variable management, not velocity management, is take a varied approach to each vehicle in a pricing aspect such that we can optimize its return on investment. So you might ask, what's that different pricing? Well, we've always believed that there should be an age policy. But now what we know, because we know better, is that it no longer makes sense that every vehicle has the same age policy. Mm. There's some vehicles that we need to turn faster and other vehicles that we can afford to turn a little bit slower for the sake of higher profitability. And today we know pretty well which vehicles those are. And now we've created a pricing algorithm. And I want you to listen to this very carefully. Okay. Today, we can, today, we can predict the probability of any vehicle selling at any price in the next seven days with a very high degree of reliability. Let me repeat that. We can predict the probability of any vehicle selling at any price in the next seven days with a very high degree of of reliability. Now, we don't want every vehicle to sell in the next seven days. We'd be leaving a lot of gross on the table. But what we do want is we want each vehicle to sell in an appropriate period of time to optimize its return on investment. So what we're able to do today is to provide a recommended price range on every car every day. And if a dealer were to accept the price within that range from day one, what would happen is they would sell their best cars in an average of 50 days, their next best category in an average of 40, their next best in an average of 30, and their toughest cars, the ones that are most distressed, they would be turning in an average of 20. And and when you get that 50, 40, 30, 20, based on the four categorizations of vehicles, what you will have done is optimize your return on investment.
1: Jeez. So for you, Mr. Velocity, was this just digging in the data that made you see this? Because obviously this is like more granular than what you were doing before. When you saw that, that Velocity, that now it's not always velocity it is depending on the individual car what was that for you that aha moment feel like you know if I'm understanding, when, if when, I'm understanding. Re- when
2: i when i real yeah when i realized when i realized what was going on i knew two things and and this was this was in in 2018 when I saw what was going on in the industry, essentially that dealers were pricing their worst cars to, to the highest, as if they stick around longer, the better they get. Right. And they were cheap selling their best cars. When I came to realize that, I knew two things. Number one, that I was not gonna retire anytime soon because <laughs> the opportunity was just too huge. And, and the second thing I knew then, as I know today, is that eventually, we will change once again the way that every dealership manages used vehicles, and I know that sounds like a crazy claim, but the reason I know this to be true is that it's just too rational not to. Because what we can demonstrate to any any dealer today, any dealer, is that their 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 cars that are most distressed because they own for too much money, they have the highest market day supply and lowest retail volume sales in the market, are the ones that they have priced the highest. And their best cars, the ones they own for the least amount of money, they own the, the most right. The ones that have the lowest market day supply and the highest retail volume in the market are the ones who are pricing as if they're distressed, as if they need to be blown out of here yesterday. And Jeff, this applies to one hundred percent of the dealers in the industry. So so when I when I discovered that fact, it is absolutely mind blowing. How can you walk away from that situation and how can you not eventually change through it every dealership prices vehicles because every single dealership without exception today has a pricing profile that's irrational yeah. one that's designed to sub-optimize the return on investment and nobody can defend it nobody can look at it
1: and say i'm comfortable with that it is funny though you i can see though how that would happen because you think the car that you know can sell you want to sell that immediately in the car that you have a hard time selling. You're you're you you want you don't you don't want to lose, so you don't want to you don't want to lose money on it, so you hold it too long. But the, it's that other part, the idea that the fast selling car that you're underpricing is that's that's a huge uh, that's a huge uh, revelation.
2: Yeah, you you hit the nail right on the head. You see, human nature when, when we own a car for too much money and it, and it's a slow mover. Nobody wants to face the music. Everyone wants to hold out for hope and, and luck. So they overprice those cars. And, and that represents a fairly significant part of a dealer's inventory. So think about what happens when a dealer has a significant portion of their inventory that's priced not to sell. They have a problem. The problem is they, they lack volume. So where do you think they go to get volume? They go and price those cars that are easy to ch- sell and they own really cheap, but they price them cheap. Mm -hmm. So, so they're, they're, they're holding out for hope, you know, when they're not going to get lucky on a large percentage of your inventory, only making the problems worse because cars generally don't get better with time they get worse. And in order to compensate, in order to get volume, they're cheap selling their best cars. And Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, this is the case with 100% of the dealers and I can prove it to any dealer. And and when I show it to them, all I have to do is ask them, is this okay? Is this all right with you? Is this the way you want to conduct your business where you're giving away your best cars, the cheapest, and you're hanging on your toughest cars, the longest? How can anybody be okay with that? And that's why I say with confidence, eventually, eventually, we will change, again, the way that every dealership
1: manages their used vehicle inventory. It's just too rational not to do it okay so the, the the ultimate flaw well at the end i mean not at the, not at the beginning just because of the way the market was that race to the bottom that happened under v auto I, i'm going to ask a question i guessing is the is the reason it won't happen here is because now you're looking at cars like there are no same cars they're all individual is that what prevents that well that
2: that's part of it so so you could have the exact same car, theoretically, you could have the exact same car sitting at two dealerships next door to each other. And, and one vehicle on one dealer's lot would be what we call a platinum vehicle, one mm-hmm. that one that should generally be priced higher, turned a little bit slower for the sake of gross, higher gross. And that exact identical car at the lot next door could be what we'd call a bronze car which is one that we'd wanna move out in 20 days. And and they could be the exact same car, but the difference is that one vehicle, based on how the dealer owns it, has a different risk-reward opportunity than the other dealer's car. So unlike Velocity, which was, as I said earlier, one-size-fits-all approach, where every dealer would price that same car ever cheaper, you can imagine two stores sitting next door to each other with Mm -hmm. the same car they just keep undercutting each other's price. Well, in, in our new variable management approach using the profit type software, if two dealers had exactly the same car, but they own them for different money, uh, the system would have one dealer holding out for a much higher price than the other dealer. So oh. I don't think that this approach has that same risk of, of creating a race to the
1: bottom for that reason. Excellent. And we talked about this before. And one of the things that interesting because Cox is such a, a data monster, such a data behemoth, they did such a great job in collecting these companies for information. um, Would you have been able to make this change with a different company or a different situation?
2: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The, the power of, of Cox Automotive cannot be, uh, cannot be overstated. And, and when I say the power of Cox Automotive, what I'm really referring to are two things. Number one, our are, are data resources, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, we have more data, deeper data and a wider swatch of data of the automotive industry than anyone else. But the other side of it is the human capital side of it. And we have some truly, truly brilliant motivated people and and you know when when you get really smart people working with with you know the best deepest richest data set in the industry you can make some magic but you know i I also want to say that it's not easy it's not (laughs) easy i don't mean to, to suggest that it's easy particularly for a company like cox that is growing uh largely through a lot of acquisitions you know when you buy a lot of companies they all have their own systems. They all have their own data formats, and they just don't naturally talk. So the, the thesis behind the creation of Cox Automotive is that if we did buy a lot of companies, which we have and continue to do, that that we could, if we could make the data systems talk to each other, and and leverage that strength, we could create magic in the industry that no one else can do. Now I have to say that you know that the creation of Cox Automotive is really probably no more than a decade and perhaps even a little less. And what we've been doing over those years is essentially creating the plumbing. And when you're creating the plumbing between these very disparate systems, it it doesn't necessarily immediately produce very sexy, you know, sizzling new products, but you can't create those new products. You can't make that magic until you have the plumbing in place. So we've been working very hard over the years creating the plumbing. And at this most recent NADA convention, we introduced uh, systems or, or products with, with, with dozens of new integration points. And we've introduced some new products that have been that magic that only could have been created if the hard work, that plumbing work uh, was done as it has been done over the past decade. So, so it's not easy, it's not easy but it is what we're doing. And, uh, and it, it does really give us a great competitive advantage in the market.
1: Great. Just a couple more questions. Um, How is, where you're at with variable management? Um, how does that, where is that in comparison to where you were at V auto in 2005, 2006? I mean, like you said, this faces its own challenge. You will, you showed dealers, you've done it before. Like you said, how do you get them to change their thinking again? Is it, easier now, or is it going to be just as hard or harder?
2: It's it's, it's easier now. It, it, it's easier now, for sure, because um, we have a reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have built up a lot of trust. And, and I, you know, today, as we speak, and it's uh, the beginning of March 2023, I, I think we have roughly 2,200 dealers using variable management and our new profit time system. That's you good. know i I would say that probably at this point of our evolution, when I started the company with velocity management, um, I would say we probably had you know six or seven hundred dealers uh, wow. at at this point of our of our evolution. So it's clearly easier, but at the same time, I have to tell you that it's very hard to change people's behavior in these dealerships <laughs> or thinking and their behavior it's hard to change the culture and and one of the ironic challenges is that we're trying to create a, a change in culture thinking and behavior that we created so
1: so now <laughs> dale, right.
2: saying, wait a minute. wait a minute dale you're the one that told us to do it this <laughs> way and now you're telling us we should do it a different way you know and and they're like questioning they're they're questioning your motivation
1: Right, and, I understand.
2: Uh, that's, that's kind of a kind of a weird place to be.
1: That is great. And um, tell tell us a little bit if you want to or if you can about your team um that you're working with on this area of uh, profit time and variable management.
2: Right. So, I, I obviously Viato, uh has has grown quite sizably along with Cox Automotive. And, and and one of the realities of that, and, and fortunately as an entrepreneur, I learned this early on. And and that is that, you know, there's a lot of really good, brilliant, talented people, mm-hmm. but the, the form of people's brilliance and talent comes in a lot of different uh, packages.
1: Sure. And, and
2: I think I have a pretty good idea of what my strengths and my weaknesses are. And from my early days of entrepreneurship, I tried to surround myself with people who compensated uh, uh, my weaknesses with their strengths, and and that that is true at an even much larger scale. Cox Automotive. So one of the things that I really have had to struggle with, and and to a certain extent, you know, I understand it, but it's still a struggle. Is, is I have to let go of a lot of operational issues that <laughs> I just simply am not really good at or don't have the time to handle. You know, things like marketing and support right. and 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 technology. and and business operations. So uh, again, I've I've been blessed inside Cox Automotive because we have some of the best, brightest people. And and today, the auto is is led by a gentleman by the name of Derek Hansen, who Mm -hmm. I've worked with for probably the better part of the last decade at Cox Automotive, albeit he was in a different capacity. But today he is the business leader of V-Auto and Derek is a very, very intuitive guy. He's very bright and he understands the culture that made our company great. And he allows us to continue to grow. And, but yet he brings to us a lot of leadership and guidance and resources. Um, uh, And also, you know, from around the other, from the rest of the organization, a lot of resources. So really very blessed to have a great management team led by Derek.
1: Yeah, we got to we got to meet him, sit down with him. I think it was in Palm Springs on AAA years ago. And so uh and that man, gosh, that was a long time ago. But that yeah, we got the got the impression the same thing. A very sharp guy. And it's great to be working with you. It's it is interesting though. I I think I think the Cox people are right. And it's good that you think that way. I don't think I'd want to waste your brain on the, the jot and tittles of stuff. You know, you want to focus on your creativity and your, your data thinking to uh to make this successful. So that is great. Um so yeah, boy, this is really good. I, I think I've really asked all I wanted to. Is there something that I didn't ask you about, Dale, or something that you wanted to share that we haven't got to yet?
2: Well, you know, I, I guess one of the things having started out as a small, uh, you know, entrepreneur and now being part of a big company is that there's no question that Cox Automotive is the, uh, is the big dominant player in the industry. And, and I think anytime you have somebody of the size and nature of, of Cox Automotive, it, it easily makes people often very cynical. Um, and, and I just, I, I want to, you know, tell your listeners uh, something that that is, is just core to me. I, I, I would not work a day for anybody if I didn't believe in my head and my heart that, that their head and heart was not in the right place because I owe everything I have to the automotive industry, to dealers. I was a dealer, my dad was a dealer, but most importantly, a lot of dealers have put their trust in me. And as a big company, we do make our mistakes, but I have been there long enough to know that there's never been a single instance when a decision was made that we were not thinking first and foremost about the interest of, of our customers. And you know, we're a we're hundred plus 20 year old company family run and we intend to be here another 100 plus 200 years and and the only way you're gonna have that sort of longevity as we have and we will continue to have is if you put the interest of your of, of your customers and, and clients first so um that that's why i'm still here i'm having fun and i feel great about going to work every day because i'm working for a great family i'm working for a great company and i really feel like i'm working for a great cause on behalf of our dealer clients. So. You know, I, I guess what I'm saying is if, if we stumble, if we make a mistake, uh, please don't be quick to judge us cynically. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're a big organization comprised of humans and we will make our mistakes. But when we do make them, we'll recognize them, we'll acknowledge them, and we'll do the right thing.
1: And for somebody who came from this small, you know, even your dad, the mom and pop dealership, to your start at V-Auto to hear, obviously you have the experience to know of what you say. So that's, that's a pretty good endorsement. Um, Boy, Dale Pollack of uh, founder of V-Auto and um, executive vice president of uh, Cox Automotive. We thank you so much for spending all this time with us and sharing us that history, that rich history of V-Auto and where it's going now in the future. So we do appreciate it. And we really hope uh, listeners will enjoy this podcast. I think they will. Thank you, Dale. You're welcome. Thank you, Jeff.
0: Auto dealers seeking education on the buy-here, pay-here industry spent a couple of days in Dallas last month for the National Independent Automobile Dealers Association's Buy-Here-Pay-Here here Academy. NIADA senior 20 group moderators Bill Elizondo and Ben Goodman led the teaching, which drew dealers from various backgrounds in different areas of the industry. One attendee had been in the auto business for a long time, but was new to BHPH. Another individual came from the franchise side and wanted to understand what this BHPH segment was all about. Elizondo said, at the end of the day, if they can understand the buy here, pay here industry well enough, they're going to be able to help the people they're doing business with who are doing buy here, pay here today. The Academy presented a big overview of the BHPH business and discussed how to navigate the various parts of the business that help make a BHPH dealer successful. Sessions on sales, operations, collections, and benchmarks were some of the topics. As 2023 kicks into high gear, industry experts continue looking at the challenges of the regulatory environment. Ignite Consulting's Steve Levine, partner and chief legal officer, said he's seen a definite appreciable uptick in regulatory issues. Things seemed to end quietly on the regulation front at the end of 2022. Levine remarked that it was almost too quiet. Levine heard about a complaint against a leasing company accused of making deals that were retail installment contracts, not leases, and another situation where regulators were picking apart convenience fees. Concerns over regulatory issues typically relate to federal agencies like the Federal Trade Commission, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. But Levine says the issues he sees popping up are coming from the states. Levine also spoke on a New York issue where, as he said, regulators are saying lenders cannot just look at a potential customer's income when dealing in car loans. It's not about down payment as much as it is about weekly or monthly living expenses. The other proposed rule that Levine blasted was the FTC's proposal to ban non-compete clauses, which it claims presents an unfair method of competition. Levine said it's so broad there's no carve-out for the sale of businesses. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or CFPB, took action against a web of corporate entities operating under TMX Finance, broadly known as TitleMax, for allegedly violating the financial rights of military families and other consumers in providing auto title loans. The CFPB found that TitleMax violated the Military Lending Act by extending prohibited title loans to military families and oftentimes by charging nearly three times over the 36% annual interest rate cap. The CFPB's news release stated TitleMax tried to hide its unlawful activities by, among other things, altering the personal information of military borrowers to circumvent their protected status. The CFPB also found that TitleMax increased loan payments for borrowers by charging unlawful fees. The CFPB's order requires the company to pay more than $5 million in consumer relief and a $10 million civil money penalty. TitleMax's headquarters is in Savannah, Georgia, and it's engaged in the business of extending short-term, high-cost consumer loans that are secured by borrowers' vehicle titles. According to TitleMax, consumers can receive a title loan of up to $10,000. TitleMax is privately owned and currently has more than 1,000 locations in 18 states. Thanks for listening to Used Car News Podcast. Each month, we'll bring you fast and reliable news that car dealers can rely on for this evolving industry. For a free subscription of Used Car News, please go to usedcarnews.com. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Make sure to share us on social media and like and follow wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Doug Harding, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. Producers Jason Gentarola and Matt Golden. And Jin Ray Zhang, Video Producer. All rights reserved. Want to save up to 80% on steep new tire prices? Premium used tires, like used cars, are
1: a safe and affordable option when purchased from reputable sellers like Champ Tires. With more than 40,000 tires in stock, all you need to do is go to champtires.com to find the exact size, brand and model, and tread depth you need. Every tire is inspected and air tested and shipping is free.
0: This savings tip works, we need to replace one, two or even all four tires. Shop at champtires.com today.